On today's show, we are talking mold again with a fantastic expert talking testing, remediation, and how we fundamentally change the way we build. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 288. I have Michael Rubino, the mold medic, joining me today, and we are going to be talking about not only water damage, but also ERMI testing and why Michael's such a fan of ERMI testing. Michael is an air quality expert. He bridges the gap between the air in our home and its direct impact on our health. He works with over a hundred doctors globally, not only to raise awareness, but to provide the kinds of solutions that actually identify and remove pollutants causing the global health crisis that you and I are becoming only too painfully often more and more aware of. Uh, he's the president of All American Restoration. Uh, he specializes in working with immunocompromised or acutely uh, affected people to mold exposure. He's helped over a thousand families. Uh, he's certified by the IICRC, the ACAC, a contributing member and sponsor and speaker for the Indoor Air Quality Association. And he has huge plans with a new foundation to actually tackle the way we build and the way people are supported when they discover water damage, which I am such a huge fan of because I hear heartbreaking story after story with not being able to get insurance claims, not being able to get money from landlords and on and on and on we go. And we really, really need to start finding ways to whinge up. And by that, I mean to find ways to increase the gravity of the debate on mold and bring it into regular awareness for doctors, for insurance companies, builders, construction, architects, you name it. Um, it's actually, to me, a very exciting conversation to have had, especially in that space. Uh, you're going to see in the show notes, I've actually included some video from today's show because... Michael is actually going to live analyze in this, well, he did live analyze in this chat, uh, two of our past ERMI tests on two water damage buildings that we lived in last year and the year before. Uh, and for me, there were some really interesting findings and I wanted to have the visual there so you could actually follow along and see what an ERMI test looks like. I've included the ERMI test uh, footage uh, I know this is usually just an audio podcast, but I thought that would be really interesting for anyone who's not done an ERMI because, oh, it's expensive and I don't know, uh, maybe this will get you across, across the line. And actually, I was excited to hear that Michael's favorite is the Hurts Me test, which is something you often get as part and parcel of an ERMI test, but you can order separately and it is a lot cheaper. So if money is the issue then that could be really helpful for you to do as well. And Michael explains why. So I'm going to jump into the show in just a little minute, but a little note on two awesome sponsors making big ticket items easier for you to swap to with Oz Climate and Complete Home Filtration. So who are Complete Home Filtration? You might have had an, a water filter jug or even an under sink uh, situation in your kitchen, but then you get red and itchy or the kids have eczema and having a bath exacerbates it. 
and you might be considering a whole house water filter. If you are, you have 20% off at Complete Home Filtration for the month of June. Uh, It's a fantastic offer. That saves you several hundred thousand dollars in a Complete Home water filter solution investment. So yes, it's an investment, but you never have to worry about the chlorine, the chloramine, the pesticide and herbicide residues, uh, bacterial contaminants that might be around at that time. Uh, and fluoride as well. So these are big, big things to avoid uh, in your everyday water that you bathe in, shower with and drink. And, uh, you know, how amazing, right, to not have that red blotchy skin out of the bath or shower as well is something a lot of people still struggle with despite having changed the water that they drink. So, Complete home filtration, 20% off, give them a buzz, book in a consult, make sure that all the decision makers are there uh, when they do come out or when you do have that consultation because then you can move quickly. Uh, That makes it easier for them to do their jobs. Uh, And uh, your code is LOWTOXLIFE, nice and simple. And of course, thank you as always to Oz Climate who have wonderful Winix air purifiers and the dehumidifying range that I'm such a fan of. Uh, Good news is if you're listening live this week, they actually have some of their dehumidifiers back in stock. So a reminder that you have 10% off their awesome range all year round with the code, again, LOWTOXLIFE. That's it from me. Let's hook into this awesome chat about mold. I hope it helps you piece some of your puzzle together or feel clearer on this subject if this is something you have been concerned about for a while. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Early morning for me, evening for you. Uh, And here we are talking mould. Now, uh, as I said just before we started recording, we have been hit big time this year and last summer with uh, floods, prolonged periods of rain. You know, Sydney, traditionally, you would get like a couple of heavy weeks of rain around late summer to get really humid. But we've had five months where I don't know a week where we've had more than three days of sunshine on the trot, which is extremely rare. And uh, and I'm really glad to have you here because, of course, it's sent people into a spin about their homes. People are discovering mould, excess humidity that they didn't know they had, you know, shoes going mouldy and all that kind of stuff, which doesn't always mean there's a water leak. So I really want to dive into um, uh, all things mould exploration in a home space with you today. But I want to ask you first, why mould? Like it's got to be the least sexy profession you could choose, Michael. What 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 attracted you to it? Was it personal well, what- or...? When I was a child, it was either mold or movie star, and I picked mold. Okay. Um, no, just, just kidding. <laughs> my, <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I have never heard that before. All right. <laughs> my uh, my father is a restoration contractor since I'm five years old, so it, it was basically in the family business. Um, and and I was honestly more interested in the design and some of the fun stuff of building a home and, and remodeling homes. Um, but when I started uh, seeing people getting sick and I saw that pattern, that's when I took a real interest in it and a passion for it because uh, really many people weren't taking an interest in it. And I saw a, a big need there, uh, particularly uh, I'm from the Northeast in the United States, uh, the New York area. There was a famous hurricane called Hurricane Sandy. 
that that really decimated the area. Uh, and for there was just many, many, many homes that were impacted. Most of these homes were already supposedly remediated, yet people were still getting sick. And so as I started to understand how that was happening, uh, it became very clear to me that the normal way of doing things was no longer going to work for people. Yeah. And can you walk us through what some of those more, I guess, uh, cosmetic uh, uh, restorations, remediations, and I put that in inverted commas uh, now because we all know that that's not often getting to the root of where leakages are, which means mold can just grow straight back, right? Yeah. So like pretty much no matter where you are in the world, most repairs are done cosmetically, uh, mainly because a lot of the people that repair homes, they don't understand the science behind this microbiological phenomena that can impact our homes. And we're talking mold and bacteria that can also be accompanied by uh, water damage buildings or high humidity buildings, things like that. So um, yeah, when I started to understand more of the microbiological phenomena of what's occurring, I quickly realized that how the world looks at mold, um, A, is, is, is kind of like this, oh, it's, it's no big deal uh, mentality, which was that's, that led to this problem. Um, the second issue is how most companies on these repair levels, they only do cosmetic repairs, meaning they take out, you know, the, the wallboard or the drywall or the plaster, depending on where you are. Um, and, and they think that's enough. Uh, and it's not enough, right? Because these mold has roots called hyphae that grow into our building materials, into our structure. Um, and that, that's true, whether you have wood frame homes like the U.S., or you have more masonry homes across Europe and, and the rest of the world. So either way, these are semi-porous substrates where mold can actually grow its roots into. And so it needs to be removed properly and verified that it's removed properly before it gets, it gets rebuilt. And that, those two steps are basically missing almost anywhere in the world. Mm. And I would imagine also missing from basically any insurance policy in the world. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's big, for me big the problem. big problem here, because mm-hmm. we don't have medical recognition of this as something that can cause harm in an inflammatory multi-system way. Uh, you know, we've recognized it as an allergic thing for a little while now, which is at least something, I guess, exacerbates asthma and maybe causes hives um, and sneezing. But it is so much more than that. Uh, we, You know, we're talking psycho. Uh, neuropsychiatric issues. Uh, I've experienced them myself and it's terrifying. Um, And so for me, the big hurdle here is getting it medically recognized, which then means it has to be recognized from an insurance perspective. But I kind of think that's why it's not being medically recognized because that would just literally put so many people out of business, builders, construction, insurance, because uh, it grows everywhere if it's been badly built in the first place or someone has intended to a leak. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And you know, what's interesting about this is in, its, in the current model, mm. yes, everybody would go out of business. What we need to do is we need to change the current model. Right? Yes. We need, to, yeah. we need to require that builders across the world need to be educated mm-hmm. in how mold and bacteria can impact in really impact the home, especially when a home's improperly built. Oh my Um, gosh. Yes. Like how many times have we driven past a wooden frame that's been left for a while because it started to rain and you're like, oh my gosh, they're just about to build 
someone's life savings home over yeah. that wet wood. And it just mm-hmm. breaks my heart. One of the biggest problems in the building industry today. And for those that don't know, mold is very abundant in the soil. And so as this wood sits in the soil and it's getting rained on before they start to erect the frame of the house, of course, yes, this is a big problem, but it's one that the industry is not thinking about and they're not thinking about because they don't know to think about it. Uh, so we need, we definitely need some, some updated regulations. I don't care where you are in the world. You definitely need updated building regulations. We all need updated medical understanding of what's happening as well. Uh, I saw in Australia, there's a group of doctors that are really promoting the advocacy of how mold is important to our health. And I love that. There's a, a group of doctors in the US, the UK, and, and the list goes on. So the tide is changing. It's just not changing fast enough. And we continue to get sick every single day. And I think that's part of the problem. And I also saw an article in in India that people were dying, not from COVID, but from mucormycosis. Um, Oh, wow. Their their immune systems were weakened through COVID. And then they were actually dying by mycotoxin poisoning from a mold that species from mucor. So it's it's a global problem. Uh, This is a health epidemic, one that we definitely need to tackle uh, and so I, I, I appreciate you giving me this platform and talking about this because it is such a vital conversation. It is. And, I, I, you know, I've been interviewing people since I got SERS myself six years ago and had no idea what it was for a whole year. I lived like that with no answers. And so for me, it, it was always like if someone wants to talk mold, help raise awareness, knows what to do, um, we just need to keep giving people voices because I think it's going to get to a point where there's enough of us who understand it and we can mount a global case for change. You know, it's so interesting and why I love your podcast and all that you're about is, is this low toxic lifestyle, right? The, 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 it's just so interesting because we've never really looked at things that way. Um, you know, and it's, it's always been like, I'm sick, take this pill, you know, you go to the doctor and that's just kind of been, been life as, as what's considered normal. And we never really looked at our homes or microplastics in the water we drink or, you know, chemicals that we use to clean our homes. And we never really looked at at this abundancy that happens. And so, you know, my expertise is really in, in bacteria and mold and, and keeping a clean home from that perspective to improve the air quality in those 20,000 breaths that we take every day. But the, the interesting thing about it is, is really it's, it's, a, it's this whole phenomenon about doing everything you can to reduce this toxic footprint on planet Earth that we are all exposed to. Um, so it's, it's so amazing that we're kind of targeting this angle and really making sure that people have this understanding because you're right. Until we are empowered and are knowledgeable to take control of ourselves and our family and everything like that, uh, as long as we continue to rely on others, they're, they're, they're going to continue to miss the mark. Mm. It's so true, Michael. I was just uh, running a seminar for a group of students this week uh, who are doing a nutrition course who wanted to learn about mold in food. And I just expanded that and went a little bit larger. And, you know, everyone was like, why us? Why now? Why is mold making everybody sick? I'm like, well, chances are it was making a lot of people sick psychiatrically. And if you think of those big old barn houses in the US that there for, you know, hundreds of years, uh, poor Dr. Mark Hyman went and renovated one of those and got very sick himself a couple of years ago, I remember. Um, And we have that here as well. Old colonial houses, no one's updated them, done anything. 
And those people were sent off to like asylums and, you know, but they actually probably had mold poisoning. And because we know it genetically affects some of us and not others, it makes sense that one or two people in the family can end up really sick and other people like, what's up with you? Um, So it's really brilliant now that we understand so much more and we see mold as not just being this annoying thing we have to clean when it shows up but a sign that something is wrong with our indoor living environment and then it's time to investigate. So can I ask you, given you literally work in mouldy buildings for a living, and this is something I harp on about when someone wants to go tackle their mouldy leather jacket from uh, a bout of rain and, and, and things like that, and they're just literally grabbing a wipe and a spray and they're just going for it. I'm like, no, PPE is really important. How do you suit yourself up? Are you in full hazmat gear when you go into houses? Yeah, yeah. There's there's some videos of me online in a full suit if anyone's ever interested in Googling and finding that. But uh, okay. <laughs> I, you know, Tyvek suit with the boots, mm-hmm. uh, with the hood, face masks. Um, all, of our, all of our personnel wear these PAPRs. So they're like the full-on uh, hoods with the actual ventilators attached to them. Um, and we wear gloves, obviously tape sealed to our Tyvek suits, but yeah, PPE is extremely important because you need to reduce the exposure, especially for someone like me. Um, although I'm not out in the field as much these days as I used to be, you know, you still have to protect yourself. I'll tell you what, even with all the protection, um, I still experienced a health decline, you know, it was, it took longer than the average person because I was protected. But, you know, I would say it was, it was about 10 years after I got started, started to notice I wasn't quite as energized as I used to be. I was gaining weight unusually more than I, than I used, usually did. Um, diet never changed. Like nothing really ever changed. It just all of a sudden I wasn't metabolizing the same way. And, and, and like most people, I did the same thing. Uh, maybe it's, uh, maybe I'm just getting older. You know, I got two young. Kids. Oh yeah. I went through the same thing. I all had the, a young boy the, with a business. Everyone was like, yeah, it's pretty normal yeah. to get resistant weight loss in your late thirties, yeah. early forties. And let's work yeah. on your hormones. It's like, well, that's all lovely, but that is symptomatic work. If there's a root cause. Did the, did, did a, did the typical mold detox protocols, sauna, mm. eat, eating even cleaner than I was. Um, but sweating for me was huge. What I noticed was the first seven days of like doing a sweat program, I wasn't sweating. Like mm, I was yeah. little Very. beads here or there, but as I'm at 140 de- degree sauna and, you know, uh, yeah. I'm not sweating, doesn't make any sense. About seven days after I started sweating again, like a normal, normal person in, in that type of uh, temperature. And, uh, you know, I think it's really important to look at that because after that, I started having more energy, less bags under my eyes, um, started to feel better, lost 30 pounds in like three months. I mean, it was just kind of got back to a state of equilibrium. And so when I look at that, I really could just attest that it doesn't matter, you know, whether I do this for a living, whether I protect myself, any exposure over a prolonged period of time, um, because I didn't have any particular mold gene or anything like that. It just, I just was considered a healthy person. Although I did have asthma as a kid, looking back, I was definitely in a moldy environment as a child. But, you know, other than that, I would say I I lived a relatively normal life. But even still, I was, you know, I felt it 10 years later. So 
I think it's worth saying and, you know, make sure you protect yourself and, and definitely take it serious. And, uh, you know, this, this really can impact people's health. I've seen thousands of people uh, sick in one form of fashion or another, both physically, mentally, uh, psychologically. Um, so I think it's, it's really important that we take this more serious. Absolutely. And you mentioned the mask that you wear. Um, I would, uh, that's going to be a very specific mask to filter out yes. mold particles. Can you share what that is? Yes. So you want to wear a respirator mm-hmm. and you want to have P100 cartridges. The P100 car- cartridges are combination cartridges and they, they should be pink. Yes. That's uh, what I've important. got. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good. Um, now, so have you noticed over the years that you can extrapolate themes? Like you're literally starting to head towards a building and you're like, oh yeah, I know these ones um, where there's a really, um, there's a, a sense of commonality between the houses that are going to end up being really severe cases. Yes. Um, you know, typically any home that has a basement with subgrade, um, especially if it wasn't built in the last 10 to 20 years, um, mm-hmm. most likely is going to have some sort of sign of water intrusion. Um, what I'm seeing now that's really interesting is the whole world is going towards this passive house yeah. technology. And so they're building these houses really tight, uh, spray foam insulation, um, like hardly any ventilation. And I'm noticing that that is a problem now, and it's going to be 10 times worse in the near future. That's our goal to go with this net zero energy efficiency across the world. We're missing a a very big component of this is that no matter what style house you have, the second that you build anything, any structure, it starts to decay. It's just laws of physics here. Gravity will, will shift the building there. It's, it's, there's no way around it. And so as these buildings do shift, they do move, there is cracks and crevices, water will intrude. And with these passive houses, their walls are like 18 inches thick. Um, and so. So, but a passive house has lungs installed in it to filter air in and out. Um, so. Sure. But you're talking about the actual structures then cracking and then kind of undoing the good work of the design, if that makes sense. Yes. So Mm. here's, here's the flaw in the design. The, 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 the exchange of air is great. Um, It's still, you're still going to have a limited volume of air, right? But the actual problem here is the wall structures themselves. As water does make its way in. And the statistic is once out of every 10 years, someone will have a water type event. Um, as water does make its way in, it's going to stop at the spray foam and it's going to be stuck in between these, these, either these wood or cement layers, insulation. Um, and what's going to happen is to get to that, to remediate it properly and remove any potential mold or rot or bacteria, what have you, it's going to be very expensive, which is going to add to the problem of fixing things properly. Because people won't have the cash to do it. People won't have the cash to do it. And you know, the insurance company is going to try to sell everybody on the fact that it's not necessary because Mm -hmm. with spray foam, it's airtight. Yeah. There's really no such thing as airtight, even with the spray foam, because what happens is, is it does make its way through interstitial cavities. I've seen it time and time again, where when you 
you're pulling it up in an air test. People are baffled. They're confused. How could that be? This is spray foam. It's closed cell. Yet it's still being picked up in an air test. So um, water also leaks through and travels through the spray foam. So if water can, so can something like a mold spore. These are interesting things to, to discuss because I think that it's only going to add to the complexion because before passive house, it was, you know, you had some wall board, you had some plaster, really wasn't a big deal to open up the wall and insurance companies didn't want to pay for things to be done properly. Then they're certainly not going to want to pay properly when you have an 18 inch thick wall that you have to dig through in order to do that. So uh, I see that becoming a problem. Um, and I think that we need to change the way we think about the building industry. I think we need to understand water is going to make its way in at some point. How do we, how do we build this place so that it's safe when water does come in yeah. or it's easy to fix when water does come in? And yeah. I had a wonderful, change, if I can just interrupt, I had yeah. a wonderful, um, builder a green builder from Canada a couple of years ago on the show and he said every building will get wet it's our job to make them good at drying as well yes yeah yeah it's yeah. exactly so, right mm. but we're not good at it yet no not very good at it so we've talked about that newer technology and the risks that might crop up there what about older style builds double brick um, you know, you could probably rattle them off much more easily than me. Are there any that tend to seem to have less problems in the history of building? I wouldn't say that there's anything that really has less problems. It's all about the design, you know, mm. um, older homes, some older homes are built better than, than the newer homes with yeah. materials, you know? And so I don't like to rule out older homes. The only problem with an older home, of course, is just the amount of time. The amount of time means the amount of variables involved with how many potential leaks could there have been and how, were those leaks cleaned up properly? Did it dry fast enough? Those are some of the variables that make it difficult to answer. Um, but I, I would say all building styles have their own set of challenges. Um, so, And if they're not maintained well, like brick, we have brick, we have mortar in between the brick. If the mortar isn't maintained, uh, if there's no, no sort of vapor barrier stopping the water or moisture from coming in, because of course brick is semi-porous, right? This can become a problem on interior surfaces. So it's really, how do we build the home? What sort of countermeasures are there from preventing water and moisture from coming in? And then if it does come in, how do we deal with that properly? Absolutely. Um, so you know, I, I, I don't discredit older homes um, and I'm actually even more cautious about some newer homes just because mm. of the, the way we build homes now. Yeah, I, I've got to say, as someone who has probably lived in about 10 homes in, say, four years, <laughs> it's been busy. Um, <laughs> but uh, we've learned a lot. And uh, where we ended up was actually in one of the Airbnbs that we stayed in as a bit of a, a stopgap which we thought um, between two shonky places. Uh, we're actually going to discuss those two Ermies shortly, which I'm really excited about. But um, uh, we just decided because we felt so well here, my son didn't get any nosebleeds. I just like literally deflated like, a, like you let a balloon out. My lymphatic system started working again. Um, no neurological symptoms. The dizziness went. But, Michael, this place was built in 1910. It was actually the first apartment building in this suburb, um, double brick. And the only thing I can think, and it's even got carpet, like everything that you would go, oh, yeah, no, and, and dark, 
very dark in the bedroom in the living area. As you can see behind me, it's not yeah, yeah, bright yeah. and sunny. And um, and the thing I can only thing I can think is good solid tin roof structure um, with big eaves. So whenever it's raining, absolutely no water gets onto or in through any windows. Um, and uh, and double brick. Um, and we're in a middle floor, so we don't have any rising damp. We don't have any roof issues. Um, that's the only things that I could think, well, maybe that's what makes it great. But, you know, we had five months of rain and I was able to keep it under 60% humidity in here with a tiny little 16-litre compact dehumidifier on for a couple of hours a day. That I mean, that was all I had to do. It was, I was blown away by that because historically, like, any house we'd been in would have operated at around 90% humidity and it would have been impossible to get it lower. Um, just yeah, besides, that. besides the leaking, you know, that happens in older homes over this, this much time. Um, older homes are typically built better. Uh, mm. The materials, you know, the materials that are used were better. I mean, in the States, you have all these wood built homes and it's like, it's not real wood anymore. You know, mm. it's, it's all pressed, pressed wood and engineered wood. Um, they used to literally mill, mill lumber and, you know, they would put it up. Yeah. It, was, it was rough lumber. It wasn't finished and smooth. It was just rough, raw lumber. They don't use that anymore. And I think that adds to the complexity and to the problems as well. It's just, it's just better food sources for things like mold and bacteria, but I, I like older homes. I'm my, I'm myself in a, in a home that's built in 1976 with plaster walls. And, uh, I mean, the air quality in here is, is phenomenal. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, I've, I've been in some newer homes too. in, in the past, uh, typically I stay in like the nineties and early two thousands. Um, and then I typically, you know, remodel them and, and fix them appropriately. But I'll tell you, I, I have a, a love for some of these older homes. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So if we can't necessarily rely on any particular building era, because each <laughs> comes with its own challenge, um, before we talk about starting to fix when we have water damage, what are some of your key, these are the things to look for when you're checking out a place? Because not oh, yeah. everybody can, I mean, you know, if I think about the rental market in big cities, you don't got three weeks to get your return report and just go, yeah, yeah. no, unfortunately, this doesn't pass the OMI test. Like 40 billion people would have gone for that apartment before you. So there's that oh, yeah. challenge. Um, but then also when buying a home, like sometimes people are so squeezed that spending that extra 500 bucks for a test might just feel like sure. really tough. But, you know, of course, try and sell them on it if, if it's something that you would count as a non-negotiable? Well, uh, you know, I, I don't like to sell people on things that aren't practical, of course. Mm. Um, you know, if you have the means for testing and, and your, your health is a big concern, you know, obviously there, there are certain people that are going to be highly reactive that may have no choice but that. But there are visual things that you can look for. Of course, staining, mm. um, you know, any staining that's signs of evidence of water damage, that, that's got to be a no for me. Um, some some things that you may want to check that you may not always check is underneath sinks, mm. uh, bathrooms and kitchens, especially um, you're checking underneath these sinks and you're looking for signs of water damage, pipe leaks, mold, things like that. Um, if you see that, you know, eh, that would be a no for me as well. Um, 
there's an interesting tip tip that I've become a little bit known for, and and it's the actual toilets. Mm. You go over to the toilet and you pull the cover off of the toilet tank itself, mm-hmm. and you look inside that tank where the water reservoir is. Yeah. If you see mold growing in there, it typically means that there is op- there is mold somewhere else in the unit that is opportunistically getting inside the toilet mm-hmm. because it's very unlikely that you would have a spore or two that comes in from outside that gets into that toilet tank. Yeah. You typically need to have an abundance of spores in the environment already yeah. to opportunistically get inside that toilet tank. So that is a good, a good, a really good indicator. Um, of course it's, it's not perfect. It's not foolproof. If you see a clean toilet, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the place is clean and you should spend your last uh, penny on it. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think it is a really good sign. If you see that the, the toilet is very moldy, it's a good way to know to walk away. Um, you know, pulling out the fridge and checking behind it is always good too. seeing if there's been leaks in there. Um, Cause a lot of those refrigerators do leak, mm. uh, I think is another great way. But, you know, I also, I look for cleanliness. How well has the building been maintained? Does mm. it seem clean? Does, is there any weird smells happening? Does it smell Yeah, because musty? I think this was you. I was reading uh, something from online recently where a building shouldn't have a noticeable smell. Yes, mm. you're right. Yeah. Yes, because if it has a noticeable smell, that there's something wrong. Mm. The presence of water uh, will definitely give that, that humid, watery smell, you know, that we've seen in damp environments. And then mold itself also produces what's called MVOCs. Um, for, for anyone who doesn't, who may not know what a VOC is, if you've ever painted a home and you've had that paint off gassing smell, that's a VOC. Um, so they're volatile organic compounds that are actually particles that enter our noses and create this uh, sensation of a smell. Um, and so when you have that damp, earthy, musty smell, these are particles being created that your be- that your body is sensing. So, you know, that's a clear sign that y- this place is not going to be a healthy place. Um, so those are some of the, the obvious and not so obvious things. Um, and then of course, testing is, is much more scientific in nature and you're, you're actually getting real data. You can check different species and get quantities, but yeah, t- testing is not always so practical. Um, if you're buying a home, definitely, don't just rely on a, a toilet tank, test it. But if you're renting, you know, you don't have an option. You need to have some good tips to be able to look for. Yeah. I always look for bubbling around skirting boards as well. Oh, if it's, yeah. if it's yeah. a ground, um, ground yeah. floor, uh, because that, uh, I remember we checked out this beautiful apartment. They had literally just spent a good half million gutting it and renovating it. It was a stunning renovation maybe two months after that renovation was done, they were opening it up for um, leasing. And there was one bedroom which had bubbling. And then that led out onto a patio that I saw the drainage um, had actually like the tiles look water stained around the drainage um, hole. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, these are, right and this bedroom. is, I then feel sorry for the person who did that because they obviously did it to create a beautiful home for their investment to increase the price and increase the chance of people loving it and staying, but they've actually shot themselves in the foot by not being mold literate and drainage literate. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it happens all the time. You know, yeah. you have good, good people trying to do the right thing, investing, giving, providing people with, with beautiful homes. But when you make those types of mistakes, it backfires because now mm. you have an unhealthy environment where people can get sick. And that's, that wasn't the intention. Exactly. And then you get high turnover rentals. So every six months, every year, people want to leave, which costs you a ton in agency fees. And this is why I like speaking to everybody, not just the poor guy who got the mold illness and is dealing with that, but like, think of your dollars and how you're spending yeah. them. It's, of um, course. it's really important. Okay. So uh, I'd love to ask you when you do these inspections, how much is it a problem of just indoor air humidity issues? And then how often is it an actual leak? Like what's the split? Um, you know, I think it's always a combination of both. Okay. You know, um, it's very rare that I see a house that only had humidity and no leaks or only had leaks and no humidity. You know, mm. Leaky buildings tend to also include humidity. Um, mm. So you typically have a balance of both. Um, humidity is a big problem. Uh, yeah. I think one that's often overlooked. And so I definitely want to harp on that because I think leaks are a little more obvious with mold, certain species of mold, like aspergillus or penicillium, and these are mycotoxin producing molds. So definitely not molds we want to have, mm. um, can start to grow in, in as little as 60% humidity. Mm. So, you know, when, you know, I, I spoke to a, a lovely couple today who was like, yeah, my basement's 70% humidity. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's far too high. You know, mm. they, they weren't aware, you know, they, they didn't, they thought too high was maybe 90% humidity. And, yeah, wow. and so it's important. It's important to know that because 60%, that's where, that's where you're in the danger zone where mold can certain species of mold will, will begin to grow. Um, so keeping things like a dehumidifier, um, is going to be vital and controlling mm. the moisture content in the air inside of your home is going to be very, very important to making sure you have a healthy environment. Yeah, absolutely. I harp on about dehumidifiers all the time. I'm like, if you don't have one and you live on an East coast, it's like, you're literally asking for a mold problem. But of course, again, we don't know. So we can't get upset with people. It's it's just about like just blowing the trumpet as often as you can. And a lot of people would be happy to buy a fridge or a dryer or something else in their house for 500 bucks, but go, oh, yeah, but a dehumidifier is a bit of a nice to have. It's like, no, it's an absolutely essential to have. I mean, that for me would be worth bad debt, like an afterpay or a credit card or whatever you can do to get one. I think it's just the most beneficial appliance. It's, it's important to remember that, you know, things like a new kitchen or a new car, you know, they're worthless if you can't enjoy them. Mm. You can't enjoy them if your quality of life suffers yeah. because of all these other things around your health. And I think it's really important. You know, I, I've noticed a lot more awareness today over the last 10 years. Um, so this is all good. People are heading in the right direction. But, you know, I, I get it. Like this stuff is expensive. Testing's expensive. Dehumidifiers are expensive. But so is getting sick. Mm. And so, you know, it's, it's our job to create this awareness and give people the information that they need uh, so that they don't get to that level. Because the stories I can tell you about how extreme certain people have gotten, you know, you've been through this yourself. Uh, these are, the, I, I don't want to see people get to that level. Mm. It's heartbreaking and it's it very dark because you can't really get any mainstream help so you have to go down rabbit holes you have to find it's like it's like an underground illness which is just yeah heartbreaking yeah yeah 
it, yeah. it is. We're, we're, we're like the hipsters right now, you know, how in the, <laughs> in the popularity chain. And so yeah. eventually it'll catch on and go. Eventually to everyone's going to want to grow a beard. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's important. Mm, super important. And so adding a hygrometer to your shopping list of when you go inspecting places is a good one because that can, yes. you can just get it from your Home Depot or your local hardware store. And that tells you, oh, the indoor air humidity in here with literally no one in it, no cooking, no anything that could possibly spare it on is 80%. Let's just turn around and walk right out of here. Yeah. Mm. And with, with Amazon, you can get it to delivered to your door in two days for yeah, a very good price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, next question I have for you is around flooding because you mentioned Hurricane Sandy and how tragic that was for your area. Uh, here we've had a number of floods, uh, people evacuated from homes, schools just literally wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, a good friend of mine's um, kids go there, uh, go to a school where they literally just didn't have a school the next day, which was heartbreaking. Um, and uh, the better part of a town called Lismore, completely underwater. So really intense. And uh, obviously with the situation we've talked about already around insurance and, you know, these things take time. Um, have you ever seen a flooded building uh, not need remediating? Like water goes down, sunshine comes out, it gets dried out. Or do we really need to think about remediation every time there's a flood? And boy, does that bring out a huge uh, issue around where we live and flood risk, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, if the building is built out of all non-permeable and non-porous materials, then yeah, it's very possible. Mm. But I haven't yet found a building with such a case um, mm. where everything was completely non-porous. So to answer your question, most, most, if not all buildings will need some form of water mitigation, mold remediation when it comes to a flood like that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> in areas that do flood, we, we, we probably need to start thinking about those types of things. You know, let's take Venice, Italy, for, for example, yeah. and that place is always underwater. The water levels are rising. Um, I've been there myself. I've looked and as I'm on the gondola, I'm looking at people remodeling <laughs> their house after last yeah. week's flood. And it's like rinse and repeat. They just rip out drywall. They put drywall back and it's just like, wow, maybe time to give up the drywall. You know? Yeah. I know a girlfriend different. of mine, when I was going to visit her in, in Europe, we were picking like another city to go to. Uh, to visit and she's like do you want to do Venice I'm like Venice is literally the last place on my list now that I know about mold I mean no offense to anyone who lives there but it's a beautiful looking city but I will I will unfortunately never be able to witness its beauty it's just to me seems like everyone is in this constant state of rising damp yes mm. literally uh, mm. so yeah you know it, and and is there, is there a world where that can exist and be mold-free? I think so, but I think it's going to take some serious engineering and drainage plans and, you know, probably th there's these lower level units, right? Mm. These low level apartments, they probably all need to be abandoned, you know, mm. and, and people live higher up and everything needs to drain accordingly and have these prevention protocols and dehumidification systems in place it's anything is possible, but of course it's going to take money. It's going to take mm. time. It's going to take, you know, the, the right people on the project that have the right mindset to avoid these issues. 
and I think, you know, we're, we're, we don't have enough people that realize that this is such a big problem that they need to be doing this, you know? Mm. And can I ask you then, Michael, in the States, when you look at the industry and all the things that aren't right, what do you feel like, at least from your awareness, would be the next logical step for people to take action around this um, in a more meaningful way? You know, I just, I'm hesitant to leave this in a space where a few of us know about it and we all just keep being upset about how awful it is. You know, like how do we make the conversation bigger from a legal slash medical slash um, building uh uh, what's the word? Um, disruption, literally building model disruption uh, aspect. Yeah. So I have a nonprofit that launches in four days. Ooh, um, there was mention of it in my book. It's t- taken some time. I'm so glad I asked. Me. I had no idea yeah. about this. Okay, it's called Change the Air Foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. So by the time you're listening to this, you'll be able to just go to changetheairfoundation.org. Um, Right now, it's geared towards fixing the U.S., um, mm-hmm. mainly because uh, we have a lot more resources there, a lot more connections there. Yeah, it's and, what you know. Ho- yeah. Hopefully, can can take that model and produce it across the world. But essentially, um, we're, it's aimed at changing laws, mm-hmm. modernizing laws around uh, mold. Uh, classifying mold as a health hazard is one of our, our big objectives. Um, we actually already started working. Uh, there's a bill called HB 251 in Ohio, the oh, wow. Air Act of Ohio, uh, where it would be the first state to classify mold as a health hazard alongside of lead and asbestos. Wow. And some other things that we know more Can about. Can people call their local representatives to yeah, say, yes. I want you to vote on this? Yes. And as a matter of fact, we'll be helping people do that. So brilliant. I'll um, put it in the show notes because I know we've yes. got a few people in Ohio who are part of the community. So yes, for sure. And no matter where you are in the world, join the newsletter so you can get informed about all this free information. Uh, but, but also we plan to continue to build this out and help people in different countries uh, obviously, everyone has different laws and different regulations, but the meaning behind all of this is the same thing. It's to modernize the world regulation system on how important mold is to our health, how it is a health hazard, uh, and how we can really prevent this from being the, the health crisis that it continues to be. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. We have, obviously, mold regulations. Uh, we, our job is to sell the insurance companies in the United States to change their entire business model uh, so that they can continue to make money because look, everyone has to make money to. Yeah. It's really important to create a win-win, right? right? Yeah. So that we have an idea to create a win-win happy to give my idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically it's changing the business model and making sure that people are educated about mold Mm -hmm. and allowing them to purchase a mold option Mm -hmm. right now. They just, don't include it and don't tell you about it. Mm. That's not helpful. No. So making making it a law that they have to educate people um, on, on the dangers of mold and making sure that they understand that there's a separate policy to for that that can make them covered for mold, I think would be a win-win. Oh, um, that would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's my sales pitch to the insurance industry for anyone <laughs> who may be listening that works yeah. in an insurance company. 
Um, and we also have the medical community that uh, that is doing a great job across the world, becoming more and more aware, but it's not in the curriculums, right? There's, there's no mention of that. Uh, there's been very little tools and resources for them to do that. Um, and so uh, I'm excited to, this is, this is something that's exciting because it's going to be a global product. July 1st, we released something called the dust test and our plan is to partner with doctors across the world to have these tests available in every doctor's office across the world. And the reason being is because you'll be able to, if you believe that mold is a problem and doctors will, will need to be educated on the signs to look for, they'll be able to test the body and test the home and show the correlation of data. Wow. So that the person can empower themselves to take action on whatever action they need to take. Maybe they need to move. Mm -hmm. Maybe they need to make some repairs, but we need to give the only way this works. The only way we achieve, uh, achieve change is through education. Absolutely. Through the, the technology and the resources that we already have at our fingertips mm. and put them into the, in the people's hands, right? Because it doesn't matter if I know it all. Mm. It matters if we all know it all. Exactly. And then this dust test, um, one of the huge barriers is the kind of private cost of doing these sorts of tests. Um, have you found a way to make it cheaper for people to analyze their dust or is it still around that few hundred dollar mark? It's going to be around the few hundred dollar mark yeah. for right now. Which is um, fine. It's just like yeah. I'm always conscious of of that, especially people who've had to move a couple of times. Like I know all our life savings just went out the window after a few moves and um, and all the medical tests. And I'm like, gosh, that is, you know, I've, I, you've probably been a member of the toxic mold group, uh, the, um, the one that's central to the US. Uh, we have one in Australia as well that now has 10,000 members, which just for me with such a small population speaks volumes of how much of an issue this is if those 10,000 even know about it, how many thousands don't? Um, and you see people ending up in tents and homeless and it's just, it's totally heartbreaking. So, um, well, things yeah. get cheaper with time. You exactly. Know? Economy as, of as, scale. Yeah. It's economy of scale. And I think that the reality of the situation is, is that the lack of awareness means that there's less of a demand, means that there's less labs across the world means that people aren't doing this. So um, the plan is to continue to grow and scale this so that we can, so that we can convince these laboratories because we're, our hands are tied by, by the fact that we have to partner with laboratories. So to, if we could start moving volume, we can convince these laboratories to give better rates, which means we can pass on those better rates to the people, which means people can, can, can get the information they need at a cheaper price. Um, with that comes expansion across the world of these labs popping up all over the place to give people more access. So then the shipping costs will decrease as a result. And then I think you really get to a point where, you know, for a hundred dollars, you can go and get, get the information you need as opposed to two or 300. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's, I'm starting off at the same point of everybody else right now with the, with the goal of, of getting this as cheap as I possibly can. Yeah, amazing. I'm really excited about this not-for-profit. We will absolutely pop that in the show notes. Uh, and if you can send me the newsletter link for people to sign up to, I know there will be tons of people who want to follow what you're doing uh, in that space because 
chances are if they're listening to this show, they're already frustrated about how bad this is and how no one's helping on a bigger scale. So um, I'm really, really behind you on that and we can get the word out for people however we can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's my life's mission is, is through that nonprofit to really make change. Um, you know, my, my for-profit company was always providing the solution because there's, there's not many people providing the right solutions to the problem. And, you know, this just, this is the next chapter of where I'm pivoting to, um, because I, I really, in order for there to be the real solution, there needs to be change across so many different industries. And that's, that's where, where my passion is now pivoting to. I got to say I'm the same because, you, you, like I said, we can't just be a bunch of people in the know about how bad it is. Yeah. The next step is, okay, how do we fix it? Like it has to be, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and fixing it is more than just a company. It's it's it. There's a lot needs to change. So I'm really excited to get to work on that. We've been we've been working behind the scenes a bit now, but uh, um, we're just getting started, of course. Woohoo! Awesome. Um, okay, so when it comes, to, you've said this a couple of times, and so I I would love for you to go a bit deeper into um, the 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 fixing it part so you've said people often don't do it right um how what are the steps you take to make sure that you've actually gotten to the absolute root of where the moisture is coming from if that doesn't take too I mean that's probably a three-day seminar in and of itself but um if we can get like the the skinny on it that'd be amazing level yeah 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 the skinny on it is, of course, you ha- you're going to have to remove building materials. There's just mm-hmm. no way about it, um, yeah. especially interior wall finishes. You have to get to the cavity, which is going to be the spaces in between the finished surface and the structure itself. And you have to follow that path of water. And, you know, for at least I know this in the U.S., and it has to be a thing that, that, that happens everywhere because it's all based off of the IICRC, but everybody does these, these like flood cuts, right? Where they cut like two feet of the bottom of the wall and they think that that's enough to just let it all dry out. And just by removing that, because the water comes down to the bottom, they're going to be fine, but they're not. Um, you have to follow and open up along the path that the water traveled because A, that's going to give you full access to see exactly where the water came in from. And B, depending on the building and the style of building, if you have insulation that can harbor water like a sponge, uh, or if there's any building materials that got wet, that if not fully dry, they're going to grow mold, you need to open them up so that you can remove them and make sure that they're fully dry. Because these fans and these these machines that that these guys use to try to dry stuff out, uh, it it doesn't get it to fully dry. It just doesn't. Um, think about it like this. If you put a wet sponge on top of a counter mm-hmm. and you let it dry, yeah. when you pick up that wet sponge, you're going to notice the counter is still dry. It's still wet. The space around it all dry because whenever two surfaces are touching each other and they're wet, they're going to harbor moisture a lot longer. This terminology is called trap moisture. It's trapped between two surfaces going to take 10 times longer to dry. And this happens in our homes because our homes are built with materials that touch one another. And so when water comes between them, they're going to stay wet far longer. And if we go back to mold can grow in as quickly as 24 to 48 hours, 
it's very likely that these wet surfaces will be wet far longer, mm. giving this opportunity for mold to grow. So we have to open up along the path of water travel to be fully, fully safe and be fully, fully sure. Um, the next tidbit um, is when you remove these building materials and you find mold, you have to remove it from the structure. Mm -hmm. There is no product out there, not one, and there <laughs> probably never will be. Yeah. That will kill mold. Mm and make it completely safe. I mean, I see words all the time, kill, destroy, vaporize, you know. Oh, I do too. I do too, Michael. It is so heartbreaking because I'm like, guys, you can't kill it. If it's in your silicone, if it's in your grout, get a trade in, replace the lot and start dehumidifying after your showers so you don't get it in the first place as just a simple bathroom example. Right. Hmm. But, but also like what happens when you kill something? Yeah. It revolts. It like mounts up an attack and it gets stronger. Like look at antibiotic resistance and right. where that's got us. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go out to our garden right now, visually mm. and take you through a little exercise. Okay. Let's do it. Let's, you have a pesky weed that's destroying your flowers. You, you kill it. What happens? It shrivels up. Mm. It's still there. Mm -hmm. It's still there. Now, when we're dealing with something like mold, that's microscopic when you kill this microscopic organism and it breaks down into smaller particles, it shrivels up or whatever it is, you still have mold everywhere. It's still opportunistically entering the body. What happens? It's still going to cause some sort of reaction. There's the other part of mold is too, is I think this is a big confusing thing is mold is both an organism and a living organism. And it's also a particle. Go back to this plant analogy. We have weeds. These weeds produce seeds. They get airborne. They settle in the soil. It rains. We get more weeds. Mold is very similar how it reproduces. Well, that's how fungi reproduces. Yeah. It's a, it's a spore, right? It just how blows it and grows somewhere else. Yeah. Right. So the spore is not actually alive until just like a seed, it's met with water, it has a food source and it grows into an organism, just like a plant is a living organism, right? Um, these products that are designed to kill mold, it's kind of silly when you think about it like this, because they're trying to, it's like going out to your garden and trying to kill seeds. Seeds aren't alive. You're not, what are you trying to kill? You want to remove these seeds. You want to remove the roots of the plants. So with mold, you want to remove the roots of mold. You want to remove the spores that mold produces. And that's how you, you create a safer environment by trying to kill and fog. I mean, fogging's huge all over the world right now. And it's not worth it. It's not worth a nickel. Uh, as long as we try to go that direction, we're going to fail and people are going to stay sick. When we go towards the direction of improving the environments, when we do have a problem, we remove it and we remove it safely and properly. We're going to have healthy habits. We're going to have healthy environments. Mm, so, so true. Um, and can I add something to your um, your not-for-profit's mission? I just, I, I have to. So something that really gets me is uh, you have an annual fire check here in Australia. So the fire people come and they test that your alarms are working and they have to write it on their little thing and they have to submit it to their people and then there's, 
government people all around Australia that know for a fact that everybody's house has been tested and their fire alarms are perfect. We need the same thing for every building, commercial or private, that has air conditioning systems. That's amazing. That's an amazing idea. I had right? no idea that they did that. I came um, up with it recently because it was just when the fire people were here, I'm like, why don't we have this for air conditioning? I get poisoned in commercial air conditioning all the time. I can feel it. My heart rate is different. Uh, I have a bit of a brain foggy couple of days. I'm like, ooh, that was hard for me to articulate a couple of words that I meant to say. So there was mold in that building. And imagine if every year you had to sign off and say you'd done a dust test, you'd cleaned your ducting and your um, split cycle systems, and they were 100% safe. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. I mean, mm. that would be amazing. Because that's another huge source of mold poisoning. I know it's not your field, but it just feels like if we're tackling safe indoor air environments. Um, well, you're, you're exactly right. So mm. HV, HVAC systems, they have coils. They constantly condensate, uh, provides a great wet environment for mold to grow. Um, and we see it all the time, almost 100% of the time. If you have molds in your bathroom, you also have mold in your HVAC didn't start in the HVAC, it started in the bathroom, but it's now in the HVAC because mold, it produces spores, they aerosolize, the HVAC sucks air in. These spores go right there with it. They start growing on the coil and now it becomes a mold factory of its own. So it's a big problem. Um, that one's a little easier to solve because yeah, we, have, right? we have great filtration technology available. Um, and we can trap these smaller particles from getting to the coil preventing this from becoming a problem. However, nobody uses the technology. Mm. What is the technology? So there's a uh, company I work with called IntelliPure. They make a MERV 16 filter that can trap particles as small as seven nanometers. Oh, wow. Size. That's teeny tiny. Teeny tiny. Size of, it's smaller than, than most viruses. So with that being said, we know it exists. We know it's possible but does everybody else? Mm. No, no. Most HVAC companies don't know about it. They're installing the same MERV 13 filter everywhere across the world. And that's, that's, that's a better filter than, than is what is typically installed. Mm. Um, it, these HVAC companies, in my opinion, that they're, they just know how to set up units and put some metal together, you know, or, or depending on the duct material, wherever you live, but they don't understand, right, how, how this plays into a, into a, a role into this. Um, most of them are very uneducated about mold. Uh, most of them don't understand much about filtration technology. And I've, I've had to make it my field because it's been such a problem. And so that's why it's been so important for me to talk about filtration um, and making sure that people are aware of that. So there the you go. I knew. Filter. <laughs> you know, yeah. Filtration. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Okay, brilliant. Now, um, we haven't talked about testing and the ERMI test specifically in any detail yet, and I would love to do that. I know we're already past an hour, but I just, if this, you have the time. This can be a special episode that goes longer. It's okay. I think it'll have to be. That's right. Brilliant. Okay, so ERMI testing, why is it your benchmark? But what are some of the things that you're seeing that aren't, allowing people to understand the, the depth of the information they've actually received when they do an ERMI? Yes. Yeah, so I love ERMI. 
Um, and I don't love it because of the score. I love mm. it because it utilizes PCR technology to actually speciate and quantify the spores and fragments from 36 different species that typically enter our homes that are not healthy. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it's, that's why I love it. Um, and I know we're going to go through an ERMI. I'm going to take people on a test drive into how I see the ERMI. So I think that'll be helpful for individuals. Um, it is a great uh, starting point. And because, and here's why. What's in our dust gets in our bodies. So let's, let's start that premise here. What's in our air gets in our bodies, but you know the difference between our dust and our air? Our air changes second to second, minute to minute, hour to hour. Our dust is what is collecting these changes. So what settles in our dust is what is a great way to analyze what is in our environment, what could be creating these particles we're finding in our dust that are then getting into our body that are then making us sick. So I had to, I had to start kind of, I kind of started at the backwards and went reverse um, to create this, this understanding of how is the best way to look at this. So we started with the dust because what's in the dust gets in our bodies it collects all of this stuff, and this is the best way to find hidden problems. An air test, as an example, you're only testing what's in the air in the proximity of wherever you're testing. Mm. So if I test in one corner, I'm going to get a different result than another corner. So that's why those, like the prism air test is not necessarily the best way to assess mold in a, in a space? Well, I think it's, it's a great way to assess an area mm. that could have mold, but in order for air tests and these prism tests to work well, you have to first use your eyes to locate different areas that look like they could be a problem and Got then it. test to validate it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, maybe I should open up that wall, but instead of opening up that wall, let me test that area to see if it's necessary. It's a great tool. Mm. However, unless you're testing, you know, every square inch of your house and looking for abnormalities, you're like finding a needle in a haystack. That's yeah, why wow. air testing has to air, air and surface testing have to be bundled up with visual inspections. You have to know where to test to validate if there's something there or not. Mm -hmm. When you know that, and you understand that visually, sometimes you may not see a problem, but if mm. you opened up the wall, you'd find one. It creates a bit of an issue here because if you just focus on air and surface testing, you may miss hidden sources. Mm. And that's that's been the biggest challenge with this and helping people from a health perspective is you have these companies that do an air test and they don't find anything and so you're like, okay, great. It's not mold. Mm. But if they tested two feet over, you know, mm. you would find an issue. So wow. I think that the, the dust testing like ERMI uh, as an example is so much more valuable because our air constantly changes. We have interstitial cavities in every home. And when our air moves throughout a home, we're taking some of these particles from interstitial cavities and moving them from room to room. 
So when we analyze our dust and we see things that are in our dust that should not be in our homes, now we can say, all right, let me figure out where that's coming from now. And so it's kind of like by starting backwards, you're actually more likely to find these problems that were otherwise hidden because yeah. you're going to know that it's here. I just got to find it. Yeah. Especially if you bought a um, freshly painted and updated place where I always say buy it rough and ready um, or rent it rough and ready because you want to see exactly the personality of that house and how it's wearing rather than um, a fresh cover up so that a few extra dollars can be made. But then the expense of yours is sometimes years and years worth of pain, right? Yeah. Okay. So shall we look at an Ermi? Okay, so I'm going to pull up on my screen now. And for the people listening, I will guide, we will guide you by actually mentioning the um, mold and the part of the report we're talking about. But I will put this part of the show as a video in the show notes for you um, so that you can actually watch it if you, if you want to. Uh, so here we have... Uh, a couple of our old um, places that we've lived. And this particular one is what date? <laughs> I'll be able to tell you based on the date. Uh, last year. Yeah. So this is Darling Point. And what was interesting about this one, I was talking to Michael just before we went live, was here was where I had my worst and most immediate neurological symptoms. Like I'm talking within five days, I had twitching, tremor, muscle spasm, and severe brain inflammation and anxiety within five days of living here. Uh, and, uh, and yet score-wise, which is what Michael's going to talk to us about, the score isn't necessarily everything, it was still in Q4, which is still a recommendation to either move or remediate, um, but it was the lowest of the three, which I found interesting. So do you want to talk us through it, Michael? Yeah. So if you scroll down a bit, mm -hmm. and, and for those listening, you have to watch this video part because it, <laughs> it'll really tie it together. Um, what's really interesting is you see this legend at the bottom here where it says tenfold higher than normal, a hundredfold higher than normal, thousandfold higher than normal, and there's these asterisks. Well, this is, this is always what I look at first. And I look at all the different species of mold here, and there's 36 of them here. And I look to see which species are present. Um, the type of species is always helpful to understand, you know, what, what sort of problems a home has. Uh, but the stars are, are mean a lot. And it mean a lot more to the score than me, because when we see that it's 10 times higher than normal, okay. When we see that it's a hundred times higher than normal uh, or a thousand times higher than normal, you know, it really starts to paint this picture that, there's some serious ongoing stuff here. Um, the other thing I look for is if you look at the bottom, the sample size, 5.1 milligrams of dust. Now, why is that important? Because we want to see, it, you know, each sample is going to have its own um, quantity of dust that they took off the sample to analyze. And so you see this number here, it says like 20 penicillium uh, right here with the one star. Well, actually, they actually picked up a hundred spores out of this five milligram sample because this is per milligram of dust. So each number is per milligram of dust. 
uh, there is a lot of dust in our homes. Mm. So when you start to look at this, you could really start to see that this, this is exponential. Mm. Um, that's why I look at not only this, the species type, uh, not only the quantity and per milligram of dust, but how big is the sample size? And I'm looking at how much higher is it than normal? Mm -hmm. You said yourself, this is the lowest score. You only had like what, three or four molds that were 10 times higher than normal. Yeah. You felt worse in this place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then I'm looking at, okay, we have Aspergillus ochreus, a mycotoxin producing mold from the Aspergillus family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Aspergillus versicolor, another mycotoxin producing mold. Uh, Aerobacidium pulans is, is, there's no star here. So you, you think, why is there no star? It's 2,158. Well, this mold is very common in HVAC systems and we all have HVAC systems. Mm. It was very normal to have high levels of this mold. Mm-hmm. But here's another interesting thing. We have ketomium right mm-hmm. below that. And there's only six here. Right. But one of the, one of the biggest problems with ketomium is it, it's cousins to stachybotrys. Oh, so that's the big baddie. It's the big baddie. It's a toxigenic black mold. But what's interesting about ketomium and stachybotrys is they require water, a lot of water. This is not a mold that just grows in 60% humidity. This needs water. And like most molds can grow between 24 and 48 hours, ketomium and stachybotrys typically take three to five days before they can really start to grow with that constant drip or constant leak. So when I see those things, I'm thinking historic systemic water damage issues every time. I don't recall if they were in the other test, but when I see ketomium, even though I don't see stachybotrys, it says none detected. ND means none detected. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me pull up the other test. So this is Randwick and this is where it was the highest. Ooh, look at that. 2,387, a thousand times higher. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that was very, I remember. So Randwick was this beautiful three-year-old. We thought we were going to spend like years in this beautiful apartment. Um, And it was overlooking the water and I was so happy and um, there it was actually quite room specific. So it was my bedroom and my son's bedroom, but I was able to ride out six months by sleeping in the spare bedroom, uh, which didn't have any problems, which was on the other side of the build. Um, and we actually had, uh, it was built on a corner where big buses and trucks, every time they came down, you could kind of feel the building shake, even though it was this stunning and it was built right into the ground. They're a family of builders. But we could see there was a crack on the corner of the outside where um, water was getting in. Uh, and, um, and it was heartbreaking. It was awful to see that they had literally just built this amazing structure three years before and we knew from my son's nosebleeds and from my neuro stuff that it was just awful. And so now that you've pointed out that big baddie, what's it called? Sorry. Ketomium. Yeah. That is huge. Yes. Yes. So I would not, I would not be surprised looking at these results that you didn't feel your best in this place. 
I'll tell you, I am a bit surprised that you felt even worse in the other place, just because clearly both places had systemic water issues. Um, this one had a lot more. But what's what's also confusing about this too is obviously it all depends on the areas that you're cleaning and you're collecting dust from, you know, because you may have hit a reservoir in very, very close to the source and picked up a lot of particles that would make this look a lot worse. And it could have been the opposite at the other place. And that's why it's so important that you're looking for, you're looking for these species, you're looking for the averages. Um, your ermi in the other place, if there wasn't six scotomium there, I probably would have said, you know, ah, this place looks manageable, clean it, you should be good to go. Right. But it's, and that's why it's so important to look at this species because once you see the six cotomium, you're like, okay. Then you see Aspergillus versicolor. You see that that's high. You see that that's a mycotoxin producing mold. You, you start to really see, like, okay, this can be a place that has mycotoxins, uh, these neurotoxins that can really cause some serious issues. Uh, you know, and, and you have to look at this and paint the picture. It's not always the size or how much is there. And everybody is different too. So you have to kind of look at what's their health history? What symptoms are they experiencing? Uh, what's inside their home? What mycotoxins are accumulating inside their body too? I bet you would have had high levels of ochratoxin A living mm. in this place. Mm. Yes, I did. They were off the charts. You're absolutely yeah, correct. Off the charts. Yeah. So you, you have to kind of look and correlate the two and look at this. But I think that's why if you're just looking at the score, of course, your other score was higher. This was lower and you felt worse here. So the score is not really the best indicator. And you kind of need to look at this more from a holistic perspective to really put the pieces of the puzzle together and say, is this place causing a problem? Mm. And I think what was really interesting for me, what you just said there was sometimes you manage to collect dust that's much closer to the source uh, than other times. And because the one where I felt worse had been freshly renovated, um, perhaps it just hadn't um, like built up in the dust as much but at that point or um, because it was all floorboards, maybe it was just because we cleaned a lot, maybe it was hard to actually get a lot of dust um, to, to show it. So that's a really big learning. Awesome. I mean, not so awesome, but yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, it's, and that's why hopefully for people, for people that are watching in that this is helpful to kind of look at and say, you're looking at, you know, how many stars does it have? You're looking at, you know, the types there. If you see stachybotrysicotomia, huge red flag, that's, that tells you that there's definitely a systemic issue. Even if it's one spore, you're like, well, where'd that spore come from? Um, because stachybotrys, it's, it's really only going to grow in water damaged buildings. Uh, it's not something that typically just comes in off of a leaf outside, right? So you want to look at these things and you want to really determine um, and pay attention because even when the results seem lower, it could still be a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what I take from what you've just taken us through is that just because you say not detected with stachybotrys, which we all know to be the really, really bad guy, you got to look at your cotomium as well, which is a cousin, mm -hmm. which would be less known. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like the BPA, BPS issue mm -hmm. that we're now having yeah. with plastics. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's another, it's another toxigenic mold, also mycotoxin producing mold. So um, causes, causes very similar harm 
And so it's definitely something you want to look out to. And I think the biggest thing to know about cotomium is they both require a lot of water. And so, and, and I've, and I've seen tons of times where stachybotrys showed not detected because stachybotrys is a pretty heavy, sticky mold. It doesn't travel very far, but when you open up the wall, there you find a ton of stachybotrys. So that's why I'm always looking, I'm jockeying between stachybotrys and ketomium. If I see either of them, I know that there's a larger issue and that it's definitely going to need some, some form of remediation. Okay. And can you talk us through the ERMI versus the, um, where is it? Hertz the hurts me. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah. So from a score perspective, I, I much prefer the hurts me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the way it's weighted, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that it's just, it's much more, it's much more helpful because when you look at the, the ERMI score, it's basically group one molds minus group two and group two is more of these common molds that you find outdoors that can come inside through various influences and group one is typically more of these molds that, that happen in more water damaged buildings. The problem with that is if you have more group two molds than group one, even if the group one molds are high, you're still going to get a negative score. And then you're going to think, oh, great, this house is great. But there still could be stachybotrys, there still could be ketomium, and you, you, you may be misguided into thinking the score is, is good when it's not. Hurts Me Too is done differently. It's actually weighted by the species, by the quantity, uh, to kind of give you an understanding of how healthy is this home. Now, it only includes, as you see, these five different molds here. However, these five different molds will definitely help tell a story. So we talked about ketomium. We talked about stachybotrys. Wolemia is another interesting mold that causes a lot of health issues. And aspergillus is probably one of the most prominent molds that are in all of our homes because it's the easiest to grow. Aspergillus can produce a mycotoxin called ochratoxin A, and almost everybody has high levels of ochratoxin A um, due to this type of exposure. And what's interesting about aspergillus in particular is it's the mold that we think is mildew. So, blown so that's a lot of the annoying one we're all cleaning in our bathrooms kind of thing. That's the annoying one we're all cleaning in our bathrooms thinking mm. it's no big deal mm. because it's just mildew, but actually it's a mycotoxin producing mold and it's making us sick. So, you know, it's really important to clear that up and to make sure people understand that when you see high levels of aspergillus, you want to look at how do I reduce my humidity? How do I clean these troubled areas like windows and kitchens and bathrooms when you see ketomium and stachybotrys, you know that there's a hidden problem somewhere and you got to help find it and eradicate it. And when you see wallemia, you know, again, you're going to always going to have some level of mold in your home. You can't get to zero. But when you see that start getting higher, as you can see here, they've weighted it at zero. So 10 spores for a lot wallemia was, was not that big of a deal. But if you start to see uh, numbers added to the wallemia, again, you want to find it. Um, and these, these typical molds um, have been studied, especially with respects to sears, um, as molds that you want to stay on top of and you want to reduce. Now, I will tell you that any mold in high levels of, of high quantities is, is probably not something that you want to have in your home. 
But, you know, these in particular, they, I love the way they've created this weight system. And for those that don't know, if you, if you have a 10 or less, you have a 98.3% chance that if you're chronically ill, you will be able to live in this establishment. If it's a 10 or more, and they have different scales of this, that, that number, the higher the number, the score is, the less likelihood you have of, of having Sears or, or having some sort of chronic inflammation or autoimmune disease, et cetera, of being able to live in that home without having some sort of adverse health reaction. So the hurts me to score is the one I like the best. Those are the reasons why, and hopefully that was helpful for you guys. Yeah. Brilliant. Really helpful. Um, and I just want to look at the hurts me of the other one. So we had, uh, 12, um, interesting in the one where I felt more immediately bad. So I think I put that down to the fact that I was primed already from such a bad exposure in the previous one. And my whole body was like, no, not this again, and came up in revolt. Um, so even though the levels were lower, it was a more immediate reaction because it was like, sure. yeah, a top up, if you like, of an already well, you know, full bucket. What's interesting about that is, I mean, you know, you're right. Studies are suggesting that when you're, when you're pretty much primed, you already have this, this toxic bucket that's full, mm. your body reacts so much faster because mm. it's already overloaded. So it's yeah. like our bodies are basically stimulus response mechanisms. You mm-hmm. know, we get a, we get a cut all of a sudden we immediately feel a pain, right? Yeah. So our bodies are always telling us instantly when, when we're in trouble, when there's a problem. Uh, and that's how we have this sensation that we know is feelings and pain and things like that. So when you're already overloaded and you walk into an environment that's going to continue to overload you, you of course, you're going to feel some type of reaction. But look, that was still at 12, mm. right? And so if you look back at that score at a 12, someone who has Sears uh, would, would not be able to live in that, that place. Yeah, so well, that was true. Yeah, you felt an adverse reaction. And of course, you know, look, you could have, this is the trouble with ERMI. This is why when I tell people to do these tests, test every surface you can, you mm-hmm. know, um, in a particular room, because it's unfortunately, it's not qualitative, it's quantitative. So you have to try to get as much dust as you can and have them analyze it all and, and, and quantify it that way. Because if you just get one spot in the corner and the problems over in that corner, you've never glossed over that corner. You're, you're likely to miss whatever dust that, that's being collected over there. So it is important to try to be thorough and collect, collect more dust than you need rather than less. Yeah, absolutely. And get under those beds and behind the desks and yeah. everywhere, yeah. skirting boards behind the couch. Uh, you Especially be... the places you don't clean often mm. because that's more likely to have more of a historical data of what's been created in that environment. Yeah. And I, I would say, Michael, thinking back to how much we cleaned um, and how there was no carpet in that lower scored place, uh, I remember actually finding it quite tricky to get a lot of dust. Yeah. So I think that might have something to do with that low result as oh, well. Yeah. Mm. Yep. If you would have waited maybe another week or two, the results could have looked much different. Mm. Thank you so much for taking us through that. I think a lot of people think, ah, 500 bucks, Australian money anyway. Um 
for something I don't really understand, I don't know what to do with when I get it, uh, then now at least we've got a couple of fantastic clues um, uh, for interpretation. There's another great resource I can give people too. I, I don't have anything to do with this, but there's something called ermicode.com. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cheap. I think it's like 19 American dollars or $29, something like that. But anyways, uh, you upload your Ermi and it mm-hmm. like analyzes it for you. And it tells you uh, based upon historical data, how many sources you likely have, meaning like how many sources and water leaks and organisms do you have growing, creating these particles? Uh, what's the likelihood that you have mycotoxins? What's the likelihood that you have bacteria and actinomycetes? It's very interesting. Um, and I think oh, so it's kind of like um, it's kind of like uploading your genetic data and, and having, yeah, you know, like a, a thing interpret it for you. It's like the 23 and me of your home or something like that. Mm. Right? It's pretty interesting. And I, I've seen I think it, it's going to continuously get better over time, of course, as the more people use it. But um, I, I like that idea, especially if you you know, can't afford to have an hour consultation with some experts somewhere. You know, it could be a good, uh, simple cheaper resource to try to get some answers and help decipher the army. Mm, brilliant. Um, and so obviously prevention is the best medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it, I mean, you know, there are some very simple things we can do. There are some more expensive things we can do. What do you rate as your top prevention strategies uh, for someone thinking, okay, well, our building probably hasn't had a huge amount of maintenance. What could I put in place right now to keep it healthy and safe for as long as possible? Like I was thinking the other day, it's almost like we need a PDF download now. Um, And I was talking with my um, coaching group about this the other day where it's like every quarter I do the gutters every year I get some a roofer to check out all the tiles and all the um, joins around the gutters and you know like actual home maintenance which in busy modern life we've kind of dropped the ball on right yeah uh, absolutely right and also when you buy a house nobody gives you a manual of like here <laughs> yeah. Here's what you do. You know? And it's yet like, it's the most expensive thing people mm-hmm. own. So it's crazy to me. We know more about how to change a tire than we do about how to look after our homes. We're a global society that only knows things when we experience adverse reactions from it, right? And that's kind of the unfortunate part of it. Like our house catches on fire because we left a candle on, or like I won't leave candles on, or you know, anymore. So it's, it's unfortunate kind of how we learn the hard way, but you're right. I mean, we, we need, we need some sort of a manual. I think what you do is great annual inspections of your roof. Uh, another thing to inspect annually is actually doors and windows, because those are other weak points. Um, the flashing that's around the doors and windows, uh, can shift, it can move, it can, uh, expire where it needs, needs new flashing, caulking, things like that, all of all of these different principles that we do to keep water away, we need to inspect those and make sure that they, they need to be maintained. Um, HVAC systems, we talked about, very important to, you know, to make sure that we're on top of the HVAC systems, maintaining them regularly. Um, kitchens and bathrooms, looking under the sinks more frequently is a big thing. Um, I know they make these little rubber holders for them now, where if you have a leak, it goes in this rubber tray and it won't impact your, your cabinet and your wall behind it. Um, so those are great, great little cheap investments to make. Of course, we need to monitor our humidity. You talked about hygrometers and dehumidifiers. Those are, those are great resources. 
our attics, going into our attics more often and making sure we don't see signs of leaks. Um, you know, even, even on top of the annual inspections, we can also climb up and, and take a look ourselves on the interior side of the, the roof, looking for signs of water damage. Um, if you have a basement or crawl space, you know, uh, checking humidity in basements and crawl spaces, especially crawl spaces, um, you know, people that have those typically never go in them. And so, you know, having some sort of waterproofing strategy down there, having a dehumidifier down there, good idea. And, and do going down there every once in a while and checking them as well. Um, drainage and grading are two other big conversations. Um, if, the, if the land is sloped towards the house, you're inviting water to constantly hit the house and eventually that water will wake its way in. Um, water finds the path of least resistance. So if the path of least resistance is inside of your house, it's going inside of your house. Um, so it's very important to, to make sure that you do everything you can to slope the, the grading away. Um, stay away from wood-based mulch and products like that against our house. Use more rocks and things that help the water drain. Um, Gutters were another good thing that you mentioned, checking our gutters. If they're overflowed with leaves and, and debris. And rusted uh, downpipes, rusted downpipes uh, as well. Rusted downpipes, yeah. yes. Because if the water is just going to overflow and again, sit against the house, that's not a good way to do it. Um, and making sure that the gutters and the downspouts, making sure that they slope away from the house. Um, they make gutter extensions. If your gutters and your downspouts come right against the house, they sell these kits that will extend your gutter out. You want to have, you want that water to go away from the house. Um, so things like that as well. <clears throat> you live in a place that snows, you know, uh, this is very annoying, but when it snows, you get a lot of snow. Um, many of us have, you know, some water membranes behind our, our, our exterior, but if that snow is too high, Sometimes it can, it can actually get into our building. So uh, if you get big snowstorms, you may want to like dig a path around the house to keep the, the snow and water melt loads from going into the house as well. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. That is a good comprehensive list for people to start thinking about. Um, thank you so much, Michael. I feel like that was a bit of a marathon. Um, I've got all the energy in the world to talk about this topic, though, and help people um, towards resources. My last question for you is, I have a water leak. What do I do? Like that person, how do we find trusted resources around us? What are some of the best interview questions to ask? What are some of the best clues that they really are a mold remediation specialist? Because I feel like because we haven't got the recognition mold deserves for illness, insurance, building and construction, we therefore are very weak in the face of opportunism or, um, you know, there's very little accreditation uh, that really holds much weight and anyone can really call themselves a, a leak finder or a mold remediation specialist. So how do people find the right professional? Um, very good question. And yes, you can't just rely on certifications because I know many people that are certified that probably shouldn't be. Um, so it's a, it's a sad state that we're in, but I think you have to know what questions to ask. So I think this is a great question. If I'm a homeowner, I have a leak. 
the questions that I would ask them is, you know, first, are you licensed? Are you insured? Are you certified? Of course, you know, get, get as much credentials as you can. Um, I would definitely be, be searching on Google for Google reviews and, you know, Yelp and whatever, whatever your, your review platform is check and make sure that they have some reviews. Um, also ask for references, ask, yeah, ask for some clients that they've done recently that you can call and call them and ask them how, how was the work and what, how did you feel? Do you feel that they were thorough? hundred um, so percent. It's, it's kind of the like, basics. and when people get defensive around those kinds of questions, that for yeah, me just, is the big yeah. red flag. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. They should be proud to share their great right. work. Yeah, exactly. If they're, mm. if they're defensive, then that they're hiding something, right? Mm. Um, if the next question, when they pass all that basic stuff, the very important basic stuff, the next stuff I'm going to ask is, okay, so I have this water leak. How are you going to help? How are you going to deal with it? And I'm looking for, well, I'm going to set up containment. I'm going to contain it, make sure we're not getting this dust everywhere. Uh, I'm going to bring in dehumidifiers. I'm going to carefully remove it. I'm going to tie up the bags while we're going to build a path of egress. We're going to take our stuff outside of your home safely and effectively. You know, I'm kind of looking for for that narrative. And if they're just like, yeah, I'm going to cut it out and, you know, I'll be in and out in an hour. (laughs) uh, You know, that's not the person for me. Um, Cheaper is faster, but it's not better especially when it comes to our health and this kind of stuff, you want to make sure that they're thorough. Thorough is going to take longer. It's going to cost a little more, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. Because if you've ever had to do things twice, it's more expensive than he did it right in the first place. So please keep that in mind. Um, I'm going to ask them how long it takes and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to assess how long it should take. Um, and if, if I think that, you know, if I got to open this up and scrub it and clean it and vacuum it, and I got to set up this plastic and these machines, you know, I'm going to think, look, this, this small leak may take, you know, an, an entire day, if not more. And then I'm going to ask them how long it's going to take. And if they tell me in two hours, they'll be in and out, you know, that they're not setting up the plastic, you know, they're not bringing in the right equipment, you know, they're just going to willy nilly hammer it out. Um, you know, that they're not going to wipe down the bags and make sure that they're not, you know, doing more harm, bringing this stuff across your house. And so these are the, these are the types of things that you kind of need to look for, um, and interview a few people, you know, at least get two. And then, then you'll have something to understand. One guy says two hours. The other guy says four, ask the guy who said four, why is it going to take four? This other guy said it will take two. Ask the other guy, why is it going to take two? The other guy said it'll take four. You know, and and you kind of learn their responses. Mm. Like it's so one, true. Yeah. It's like health. One person is gonna say, yeah, one mm. and one person is gonna say, because I am thorough and I want to do this right. Yeah. And could I get it done in two hours? Yes, but I would be doing you a disservice if I did. Mm. Those are the those are the answers you're looking for. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, It's a time where lots of people around the world are waking up to the fact that their homes might be contributing to illness and they want to investigate. And lots of people also know this and uh, are trying to make some money by fogging and doing all these things that don't really help. So I really appreciate you giving people some tips. Thank you, Michael. What an epic conversation. Um, 
yeah, I wish you all the luck in the world with your foundation. Really excited to help you promote that. And uh, thanks for taking us through it all. Likewise. And thank you so much for having me. This was such a blessing to be here. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.